The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus told this parable to those among the Pharisees who loved money. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in a like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so and no one can cross from there to us. The man who had been rich said, Then, Father, I beg you to send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, we had perhaps the most famous of Jesus' parable, with the story of the prodigal son, the elder son and the younger son. And today, perhaps we have one of the most vivid of Jesus's parables and descriptive, one that certainly catches our attention because it sets up a contrast immediately between the two main characters, the rich man and Lazarus. And so the rich man is dressed in purple and linen, the finest of the clothes of his day, Lazarus is dressed with sores, cuts, and bruises. The rich man feasts sumptuously every day. Lazarus gets what falls from the rich man's table, which was usually pieces of bread that the people would have used to clean their hands off and thrown on the ground on the table. That's probably what Lazarus was eating. The rich man probably is surrounded by family and friends as he feasts every day. Lazarus has the dogs as his company. Now, dogs in the time of Jesus, this is not like having Lassie or Old Yeller by your side and kind of comforting you here. Dogs were not pets. Dogs ate garbage in the city streets and they also ate corpses. So they were not your friends. It was not an image. So that's the image that's being painted here in the Gospels. 
And yet here comes the twist. The rich man fails to see Lazarus seated at his gate, the gate of his house, each and every day. The rich man fails to see him, but God sees Lazarus. The name Lazarus means God helps, or the one God helps. And the rich man is unnamed in this parable. We don't know who his name, what his name is, but Lazarus' name is given, showing that he's known by God. This parable was so important to the early church and to the Jewish people as well hearing this because it answered some of the biggest questions found in the Old Testament Psalms that we often hear between the first and second reading at our masses. The Psalms would always ask, you know, it seems like the wealthy and the wicked or the righteous seem to always prosper more and more and the poor and those who are downtrodden are left aside. Does God really see? Does he not hear us when we're suffering, when we're hurting, when we're down and out, whether we're rich or poor? Does he not care about our fate, about our future? This parable answers all of those questions found scattered throughout the Psalms with a clarion call saying, yes, God sees Lazarus at the gate. God sees you and I when we're going through difficulties and times of suffering. And Lazarus also is a figure pointing us to Jesus who will be covered with sores and crucified out of the city gate outside the walls of Jerusalem on Calvary. It reminds us the fact that the rich man fails to see Jesus about Jesus's teaching in Matthew chapter 25, that great teaching, right? When the people on the left and the right of the Lord and King say, Lord, when was it we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink or saw you a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison. And then the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. That admonition, that lesson in Matthew chapter 25 is about who we see, and who do we see in need represents Christ as well. So I think that's a good, very good question for us to reflect upon today. Who is the Lazarus outside of our gates, of our homes, or of our cities, of our society that we're blind to see, or that we choose not to see? Who is the poor one at our gate that we fail to recognize, to accept, to give a name to, and to belong to our family? I think if we look honestly and seriously, that person is the pre-born baby. The unborn child is the one in our current society that is completely ignored, voiceless, and has no one often to stand up for them prior to their birth. As you probably know, in Canada, there is no law protecting the unborn, preborn children. You're not a person legally in Canada until after we are born. And so I know how sensitive of a topic this is, especially after the Roe v. Wade decision in the United States Supreme Court and all of the kind of angry coverage and battles going on afterwards in the media and so forth, that I often hesitated to discuss this during the times of the pandemic when all of this was coming out in the news. But the Lord and the Holy Spirit's just been placing it more and more on my heart to make sure that we are united in faith and give a voice to those who have no voice. 
And although it's difficult to talk about, although it's tough to talk about in family circles and friends and elsewhere in society and especially on social media and Facebook, it's almost impossible to have a healthy dialogue around these topics. I really feel that as church, as God's people, we need to lead the way and to show that we can have civilized conversations about hot button issues that are important to us in our world and society. Because if it doesn't happen here, it's not going to happen out there. I think we have to show where the way, the truth, and the life that Jesus is in allowing us to have these discussions. I'm fully aware that I'm a single man and a member of the Roman Catholic clergy talking about the topic of the preborn rights of children and abortion. And so a bit more on how women will have a voice to share about this a little later in the homily. This is also a part of our result from our synod listening sessions that we had this past year with really a strong voice of people wanting us to address the marginalized and those who do not have a voice and allow us in our church communities to have meaningful conversations to get not just to get the answers we need, but also to be able to listen to all of the different opinions out there, but then always to turn to Jesus, who reveals the Father's heart and mercy for us. So a few things I would like to share just to help us kind of have this discussion in the coming week or so in our family of parishes. And especially the way that this issue of preborn rights, although there are no rights for the preborn in our country, affect our faith in our discussion. First of all, it's important to note that the issue of abortion is not a religious issue. It is not something that we need to quote the Bible on or church teaching to defend. It's a human rights issue. Either all human beings have human rights, or some do and some don't. And if some don't, then who decides who does and who doesn't? So if it's ended up that it's a purpose of power or of political decision, then that should be something certainly that concerns us. Objective science, developmental biology, and sound reasoning shows us and tells us that human life begins at conception. We have all of the genetic material, chromosomes, bio biological material necessary for human life to flourish. All we need is the right environment to survive, which is the mother's womb at that point in life. But isn't that true for any point in life? All we need is the right environment to survive. Put me in the desert without food or a way to access food, I will not be around very long. I need the proper environment in order to survive. And so does the preborn child. We also sometimes hear people say, well, it is just a collection of biological material or just a fetus. And those words kind of get us thinking that perhaps they're not a real person at that point. We know that is false. Just sound reasoning reminds us that an embryo, a fetus, a toddler, an infant, a teenager, a senior, those are just words that help us describe different stages of life's development. They do not determine who we are or our personhood. That begins at conception. Those words just describe the different stages of life that we all go through and that are a description of how our life develops through those stages. A second thing that I think is important for our conversations together, 
Are we not then imposing just our own Catholic morality or just morality in general, if this is not a religious issue, on society by being pro-life? Are not we just imposing our morality on people? And we know that that's not the way to go in, pos in position of things, right? Well, Bishop Robert Barron, in a recent video on this question, and if you have the chance to watch it, it is very well done, he reminds us that every law imposes something on us. Whether it's a law regarding a speed limit, a legal drinking age, or anything else regarding healthcare or the ordering of society, imposes some truth upon us that is given for the proper ordering of society. And so yes, protection of human rights at all stages of life is an imposition, but an imposition of a good thing, to protect the dignity of each and every life that has that right to life. It is the most pressing moral issue of our day and time because without life, all the other rights are meaningless. And it's the most important issue of poverty because we cannot even discuss this issue in Parliament any longer. Politicians aren't able, even able to bring it up in healthy debates any longer without being removed often from their parties or from their position in the political realm. At least with other issues of poverty like unemployment, homelessness, the opioid crisis, and the list goes on, we can still debate those and talk about them openly and find good solutions after a good healthy debate on it. But by the unborn not being able to have a voice or us to even discuss them, really puts them at the lower realm of all poverty issues in our nation at this time. And so as a reminder that this is not a religious issue, that when rights and human rights are imposed upon people in society at all stages, this is not like forcing people to believe in the seven sacraments or the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary. Those are religious issues and dogmas of the Catholic Church. This issue here is simply helping us recognize that none of us have the power or the right to determine whether somebody else lives or dies. That is not our role. And even Catholic politicians, as Pope Francis mentions, are incoherent when they say that they are privately against abortion and want right to life for everybody, but publicly against it. One cannot be, make this a religious issue when it's not a religious issue. So this is something very important for us when we hear all of the different opinions out there and politicians saying, well, yes, I'm Catholic, but not publicly for this or that. Since these are just in the realm of moral reasoning and can be debated without religion, there's no reason for religion to be brought into that discussion. And it's good for us to remind ourselves that for many centuries, Catholics weren't allowed to be politicians because the viewpoints differed so much. Catholics could even be teachers because the curriculum forced them to teach things such as this that goes against human life. So what did we do? We formed our own schools. We formed our own hospitals. We found other ways to influence the political realm through the values of the gospel of Jesus Christ and often succeeded. And that comes to the third point. As Catholic Christians, we cannot be pro-choice. We are pro-life, pro-woman, pro-child, because every human life matters. This is a beginning of our faith. 
It is right there at the seedbed from the message of Jesus himself and from the early church writings as well. This is not just a belief of some very conservative or extreme Catholics who hold the pro-life views. This is just what it means to be Catholic Christian. This is just what it means to be a follower of Jesus, means to be pro-life. We have letters outside of the Gospels in the New Testament from the Apostles in the year 70, the letter from Barnabas in the year 74 AD, some 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus, to the church fathers and mothers of the first few centuries of the church who reiterated over and over again that the church is always against abortion and is pro-life, no matter what the circumstances of the pregnancy may bring about. Today, in our day and time, abortion is mainly used as a secondary contraceptive if the family planning didn't go as planned. It is used only in minor, minority circumstances in Canada during real crisis pregnancies of sorts. And so this coming week, we are gonna give the voice to the women here in our church on Thursday evening, following the 6.30 Mass as we open the 40 Days for Life prayer campaign. We'll have the opportunity to hear from Jessica Hanna from our local communities here of Windsor, Essex, just witness to some of the difficulties she faced when she wanted to choose to keep her child. She did not feel that she was given that choice and that she was forced in many other directions, having finally to move out of country in order to keep her baby and to treat the cancer she was dealing with. We'll also hear from Catherine Eberhardt, our pastoral minister on staff as well, in her testimony and witness and offering a time for Q and questions and answers for all of us who are gathered. And also find out about the many, many, many resources out there to help women in need, from Birthright to Our Lady of Guadalupe Home, the Windsor Right to Life groups, and so many more. And I know this message is kind of heavy, and it, but it's important for us to discuss because God's mercy is always available for everyone. Whether we've experienced an abortion in our own life, in our own families, or in our own hearts, or we've been implicated somehow and maybe failing to just speak up sometimes for the voiceless at the gates of our homes and cities, God's new beginnings and mercy are here for all of us and are always possible. Next Sunday will be Respect for Life Sunday, and the life chains will form in Bell River, Tecumseh on Manning Road and Tecumseh Road, and in Windsor near Metropolitan Hospital as well, in order for us to take a time of prayerful reflection and witness on where we stand with all of this as well. And I invite us all to pray, to pray for God's gift of wisdom through the Holy Spirit, to allow us to see through a lot of the media rhetoric that's out there, and to allow us to see what Jesus is inviting us to do and to live out as his followers. In a few moments, we're gonna hear in the Eucharist the words of Christ himself that he said at the Last Supper, this is my body given for you. Every human body is a dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit. And may the real presence of Jesus open our eyes to the unborn children who are at our gates, longing to be loved, to be given a voice, and to be accepted in our nation as well. <laughs>